Hello and welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Um, before we kick off today's episode, um, let's say a few thanks. First of all, Headbox.com have, have very kindly worked to secure the venue that we've set up the podcast studio in today. Um, that venue is the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard, London. Um, I sit here recording the podcast uh, in a private meeting room on level 34 with a a beautiful backdrop of London behind me. Um, If you're listening to the podcast via iTunes, it's well worth hopping over to eventindustrynews.co.uk and checking out the video of today's podcast as well. And uh, you can see some pictures and footage of uh, this uh, fantastic setting that we've got for the studio. So on with today's episode. And we welcome to Talking Events for the first time, Jamie Vaughan, Managing Director EMEA from um, Event Base. Jamie, thanks for uh, joining us on the line today. That's okay. Good, good to see you, James. I'm sort of jealous. I wish I was with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll try and get back here another time. This is a, ven- <laughs> a venue that we would no doubt like to secure for future occasions as well. So um, we'll get you into the studio. But yeah, we're, we're going to talk today. Um, technology regularly crops up on the podcast as a, as, as a topic of, of conversation. Um, sure. Let's first of all explain who Eventbase are. People who, who read Event Industry News will have come across the name, I've no doubt at all, because there's been lots of coverage of you guys in the last couple of years. But tell us a bit about Eventbase, what it is you guys do. <clears throat> yeah, sure, thanks. Um, so, so I'm Jamie Vaughan, I'm the MD of EMEA. Uh, the fact we have a region, EMEA, suggests we are a global company, that we are. Um, we're, we're based out of the very beautiful Vancouver, uh, Canadian business, um, about seven years old now. Um, growing from strength to strength. Um, we specialize in the development and deployment of mobile applications, um, but our genre is specifically within the event industry. Uh, so we do some pretty powerful apps um, that delegates and organizers to get the most out of their event. And what sort of events would, would we find event base at? Do you specialize in certain markets, in, in niche sectors of it, or, or, or are we talking about the events <laughs> industry as in its broadest sense? Yeah, broad, to us. We're completely cross-genre. So um, we have a, a bunch of clients in enterprise, music, film, obviously trade shows. Um, I'm going to give you a slice of my life. Um, in, in two weeks' time, I'm off to Las Vegas for my sins for uh, Tulip Packard, one of their biggest um, conferences, 20,000 people descend in Vegas. I fly back, I go to Cannes Lions, where we do the whole festival engagement, uh, and then I come back to Farnborough Air Show. So it's a completely cross-genre, and uh, we we do like to partake of the Cannes events, because I think it's the best way that you can truly understand what's trying to be achieved. Um, Ultimately, um, our our definition of event is is where a community comes together. Communities are there for the the single interest, whether it be music, and that case aeroplanes, or Philip Packard, they come together physically, uh, and um, our definitely good app is where we create a window uh, for that community to experience the event in its best way. How, how difficult is it for you um, it, to, to be able to deliver an effective event app solution um, and, the, and, the, and the peripheral services that you also provide to such a broad range of events? Because events are different beasts. Every single one, even events within the same sector, will be unique in their own right. How difficult is it to provide that sort of service to such a broad spectrum? Sure. I, I get your point, and, and you're right, and you're also wrong. Um, they are broadly different in how they deliver certain types and what the content may be. However, back to my point, they're all about communities coming together, 
right? So that community has a common interest. So the, the, the trick is to ensure that you're engaging the community on the right level. So, for example, we, we do a show called South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Everyone knows we do that one. It's one of our famous shows. Um, it's immense, right? It, it's also cross-genre. So South by is one of the most complex scenarios you can imagine. There are 6,000 sessions, 230 physical venues, right? Lord knows how many people go to it. So it's about engaging at the right level. So if you're interested in music, um, then a lot of the content is based on video content of your, of your acts, about how you get to see them, how you get there. If it's film, we, we contain trailers. If it's the innovation part, then it's about networking. It's about getting the most out of that content. So we will align the content around the, the specifics of the event. However, we do many events. When you boil them all down, there are tremendous similarities between them all. Absolutely. Um, event, event tech... Um... Is a, is a sector that's expanded rapidly, is very much ingrained within the industry itself now. Is there a way of defining, of defining event technology? And, and would you consider yourselves as a company to actually be working in event technology or just in the events industry? Do you, do you see them as one of the same yeah. now or, or is it still a separate sector? Yeah, it's a great question actually and it's, it's open to, to lots of debate because the, the, the term event tech is, is far too generic in my mind now. Tech, the, the text that touches events now comes in a variety of shapes and sizes um, and, and at all touch points, you know, right from the point when you discover the events available on your website to the point you touch it through registration, right through to after the show when there's tech analyzing behavior and, and interaction with another. Um, it also includes lighting, audio visual. You know, so it's so, so, so broad, all relevant, but very, very broad. Um, I think that maybe someone should take the responsibility to, to recategorize some of this into component parts. Um, it is all tech because it's technology, mm. um, but I think it can, can do a little bit of categorization right now. We do see ourselves as a, as a tech business for sure, um, but very much around the, the delegate engagement level. When we, to, to, to still use the phrase, when we talk about event tech, but more specifically, I suppose, let, let's look at event apps. Um, in yeah. how they support delegates and the event organizer themselves, are they? Sure. Have we reached the stage yet where they are a must-have item, or are they still a luxury? I would like to have item. Sure, that's again an interesting question because there are many, many types of apps out there. If, if we assume my last comment that um, that the the definition check that we're in is delegate centric, then by definition the, the role that we play is massive, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it, it can't be ignored. Um, I think that the, the, the tech it, it continues to find traction, um, but the, the world has changed. In the old days, it was very much about pushing content. It was about show guide on your phone. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not about that anymore, and it should not be about that anymore. We're, we're talking about how people behave. You go to an event, people walking around with their heads down looking at their phone. They're doing something. Whatever that is, I don't know, but they're doing something. That's behavior, okay? So mm -hmm. a, a true innovator, a true tech vendor will plug into that behavior. There's still space for disruption. At this moment in time, we need to join in to how people are behaving and give them, give them things, either content or engagement, that's going to be compelling and improves their experience. And improves their experience is, is, is perhaps a key phrase there because what you want to do is enrich the, the, the experience that they have of going to the venue 
or, or going Correct. to the event. But you, you've got to be very careful. And I've always been been particularly wary of event tech in the sense that we, we should never allow it to get to the point where it's actually taken over from the content of the very event itself. Indeed. Um, how, how careful are you guys there when programming it and working with clients to ensure that what you're doing is enriching and not overtaking? Yep, a great point. And um, I'm, a, by the way, I'm a massive advocate of face-to-face events. I I like to talk. You might realise it already. I like <laughs> to talk. I like to talk to people. Uh, I've been event for many years, and I hope and pray that it'll never go away. I don't think it will. Um, however, it can be improved. This is the point. Um, the enrichment elements comes through um, innovation, uh, uh, our, our product roadmap, and what we think is appropriate. Now, don't get us wrong. We are not the only people responsible for where the product goes. And organizers have responsibility to, to demand things, to push certain things, not just to make money, to push it for a, a delegate and user experience. So, to give you some examples, uh, we, we deployed um, a couple of apps uh, uh, earlier on, sorry, middle of last year. Um, and one of our key innovations last year is what we loosely called a recommendation engine. Um, what that means is if you go to an event that has a, a fairly a multi-track or a fairly complex uh, uh, level of different types of content through sessions, mm-hmm. um, it's quite hard for, for a user to navigate their around or to even know what to go and see. Yeah. Um, we, we create um, a, a personal experience by having an algorithm in the app that will read the um, delegate's user profile and match make content based on that profile that is most appealing to that user. So instead of scrolling through you know, 75 sessions, working out whether I want to go and see Kim Kardashian to about makeup <laughs> or Will yeah. I Am about sunglasses, it will tell me, Jamie, you'll prefer to go and listen to Will I Am about, about drones or whatever based on my personal profile. So what happens thereafter is that the app becomes my advisor, my PA. Okay, but that is based on commonality between my profile and the content of the show, not an organizer pushing what they think I'm going to like. Um, I, I'm curious to know how, how often or, or whether it's ever been flagged up with you by an event organizer. I know myself from going to events that if I go to a trade show, I may only see a very, very small part and a small percentage of that particular event. Um, and what's on offer. And I may walk away and in the days or the weeks afterwards, find out that there was something relevant to me that I think, oh, well, I, I didn't really know that that was there. Um, yeah. do, do, you, do you Have you worked with event organisers who have come to you with that specific problem of saying, look, we're worried that a lot of people have left our event and that actually not really scratched the surface of, of what it's about and, and how can you help me solve or address that issue? Absolutely, yes. Uh, and, and there's a few things. There is, um, so going right back to, to our, our, our high-level message about community, um, if you are engaging with the community uh, before the event, event apps are not just about the physical event experience, they're about the community. So they, they should start engaging before, during, and after. Okay? All the elements I'll talk about and have talked about today will be available in, in that time period. So you have the ability to lengthen the event. Okay, mm. so if there are specific areas, then the organizer does the ability to highlight certain things before the event even happens. Okay, that also can be steered contextually to the type of user. So certain user groups or certain individuals can be pushed content the organizer feels is appropriate for them. All right, so we're beginning to change the way somebody may approach the event by having the ability to plan and manage their day before they get there. 
So through, through recommendations, we can see that. Secondly, you can relive the event. Okay, so we have this a few of our events where there's a lot of video captured and, and that's curated after the event. Yeah. We then keep, keep the engagement within the app post event, and we can keep the users engaged by by publishing content sometimes exclusively within the app itself through video play uh, and, and big this year 360 uh, degree camera and VR in app. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can go into the app and genuinely relive the experience even though it's finished. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, just uh, uh, as an aside, um, the beauty about digital uh, interaction is that you can track it, you can monitor it, and you can actually look at the statistics and how many people interacted with it. Now, w- when, when you look on, on your stats and your own experiences, what are some of the best examples of before, during, and, an af- and after in terms of interaction? Because most people will get up in the morning. The first thing they do is reach out from whatever side of the bed they're on, get their phone, and they will instinctively go on to a couple of apps to check either yeah. Facebook or Twitter or the news or the weather or whatever that may be. Have you got examples sure. of where there are some really great events out there that are, are using their apps well and people are using them months before and months after the event? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, we do track it, and we're asked to track these things. You know, track, I don't like the word tracking. Analyzing better. <laughs> tracking <laughs> is so much fun. Um, so people like to analyze, and you can make judgments with intelligence. So as I mentioned, uh, uh, we have clients who look at amount of times videos are watched to give them indication whether that certain session is going to be going to be interesting. We we have the ability for people to um, favorite sessions, uh, which builds their personal itinerary in app. That gives organizers in advance a flavor um if you like of um capacity management if, if it's a if it's a uh, a non-subscribable event it may just give them an idea but probably one of the most appropriate examples is we um we always happen to do uh, a lot of film festivals and we do um the sundance film festival very famous film yeah, festival in, yeah. in america robert um, redford and robert redford absolutely uh, and we do that for that for a few years and um getting when you go to film festivals, it's very difficult to get into a lot of the premieres uh, and, and they all go to the VIPs first and the stars, and then it's very difficult for, for laymen to go and get to see these things. And we wrote an e-wait list. So with our sister company, the Galactic, we actually wrote a, an algorithm that users in app would, would, would get up in the morning, they would see what films were being released, and they could subscribe to a waiting process to be allocated tickets. Okay, so mm-hmm. I don't want yeah. to yeah. use the... the, the, the um, the carrot and the stick analogy, whereas, you know, you get people using things for certain reasons, but that was an amazing carrot to get up and get on with your app content because it would reward you with a very, very nice prize at the end of the day if you were lucky enough. When we talk about then rewarding, I suppose that that brings me on nicely to to, to one of the things I wanted to ask you, which is um, the use of beacon technology and how it integrates with with event apps. Um, It's something that uh, I first stumbled across maybe three, three and a half years ago um, when the term sort of iBeacons and beacons started to, to creep into the industry and into the tech world. Um, is it sure. something that you guys are using now? And, and how does that, uh, when we talk about carrot and stick, I know a lot of people have talked about the use of beacons as a means to help direct people around a particular event and offer them incentives yep. and ways to actually engage on a, on a higher level. Um, how are you using it? What's your views on it? Sure. Views are high. Event-based as a company are massive advocates of beacon technology. We have been for the last three years. So probably back in the day when you started looking, we may be one of the people pushing it at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, the last few South Bys have had major beacon deployments. I'm talking about 
in excess of a thousand beacons for one event. Um, we have literally deployed, you know, tens of thousands of units over events all over the globe. So if you want to know about beacons, speak to us. <laughs> We're around for this. Um, sorry, I say popular, subject to popular belief, um, they're not just there to put push messages, right? Like all technology, when people jump, oh, I can do this. And everyone blasting people with messages and where you're standing. That's true, and it's, it's a good use. But they can be used for many things. Um, you know, the dumbest guy for the beacon is the beacon creates a zone. When you walk into that zone, it can activate something in app. That's it. The activation is only limited by imagination. It can be stamping where you are on a map. It can be used for networking. It can tell you who's, if, if there's a bunch of people standing around you, who they are. It can, t- it can send you messages, of course. It can send you messages based on dwell time, on contextual elements. So there are many, many, many use cases that we're building up where beacons are... I, I think beacons have a future in every event. For, for anybody that's heard the term but, but may not be completely clear on, on, on how you access beacons and how you interact with them or how the beacons interact with you, do, do, sure. would, would, would a visitor to an event physically have to have the app open and running on their mobile device in order to access any beacons that are relevant to that event or will they automatically interact with a, a smartphone if bluetooth is on so no bluetooth, beacons of bluetooth low energy so it's a form of bluetooth you're right um they have they have they have to have the official app because um for example beacons do not push messages mm-hmm. okay beacons unlock messages or activations that, that are programmed within the app Okay, so it's a it's a two way interaction, but only for the official app and 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 the beacon itself. Right. So um, they have been app user. It can wake the app up, but you need to have the app downloaded. Um, so it is an extension to the app behaviour. And again, I'm glad you clarified that because again, I've spoken to people in the past who were worried that the use of this the beacon technology would would actually put off visitors who are walking around. Uh, a trade show floor, for example, and the phone is just constantly buzzing because the messages are being pushed. Yeah. So w- w- we should sure. clarify, this is not a case of pushing messages out. This is a case of unlocking information that's already built into an events app. Exactly right. And there are guidelines and people's concerns. Again, you know, we are a technologist, you know, we're a company that pushes new innovation, but we make money from our clients. Our clients are, you know, all shapes and sizes and they're good and they're bad. And I think, you know, we all have a responsibility to make sure we don't, abuse the situation because all features within most apps can be disabled okay and we go to enormous lengths and pains to create the carrots to use a, a beacon technology like mapping you, mm. you, you can internally map a destination a venue that has no gps signal and guide people on a map to where they're standing which is amazingly powerful but if you plague them with push messages buy this buy that don't forget your free coke or whatever they're going to turn it off and they lose all that wealth of feature, which is a crime shame. So we all have a responsibility to use the I was going to say when I first came across beacons that the use of being the use of it as a way to actually navigate around a gigantic show floor at a trade show I thought was a brilliant um, but a simple but brilliant way of using it because how many times have people been to a trade show looking for a stand and have just spent. 15 minutes wandering up and down aisles backwards and forwards right. until they stumble across the one that they're looking for because they've looked right. at the printed show floor and they're actually three rows over from where they think they are i think you exactly. know it, it, to, to use technology sometimes i think we get carried away with using the modern event technology in its most detailed way and actually some of its best examples and scenarios are when we use it in the most simple way 
Right. So we do the, some of the biggest trade shows in the world, a big venue like XL or NEC. I think NEC is something like 2 million square foot or something. Uh, and a big show might have 3,500 booths. We have a feature that says, find me. You press the button and it tells you what you're standing. <laughs> that alone is incredibly compelling. How many, um, in in terms of the venue itself, who who's responsible for putting those beacons in? How many do you need in order to activate that level of service and that level of accuracy? It fluctuates a little bit. I mean, it depends on the physicality of the building, it depends on the wall structures, it depends on, you know, the height. So we have to do a calculation. Um, but, you know, if you look at something like the NEC, you can network all 20 halls with something like 800 beacons or something like that. It's a, it's a big, it's a big installation. Um, but it's it's compelling because it's not just a mapping. There, there are other advantages about you know wayfinding, yeah. directional, and all this thing. Like um, you talk about venues, you know, venues um, they're not necessarily a hurdle um, because as a technologist, we, we've learned to adapt. For example, you know, we know that they bang on about Wi-Fi and 3G, and you don't really get it. Yeah. So it's as we walk in the room, the whole thing dies. So we have to adapt. So we work our technology around the restrictions of the way going to accept. So we only write native apps. They will work offline. Uh, you can you can put them in airplane mode, and they'll still be feature rich. Uh, there are component there are component parts that might not work when you send messages to somebody or something like that. But um, the app itself and the content will still be there. So we, we work around these these hurdles. Yet the biggest irony here is um, the, the venues hold the key because um, they can unlock tremendous potential uh, to drive what's there and further innovation if there were uh, some, some common technology. They're now beginning to get Wi-Fi. You know, they, they can put permanent beacon placements, Wi-Fi, they can Bluetooth placements from parking right through yeah. to the common areas. Yeah. And it would be very easy to resell that. So I think there's, there's an interesting few years ahead of us in, in, in those tech talks. Would that help businesses like you if a venue, for example, said, look, we're actually going to invest and we're going to put 800 permanent beacons in our venue that can just be programmed by the app provider or the service provider that is being contracted by an event organiser. Yeah, it would help all of us, not just me. It would help me sell my products, of course, yeah. but it would also help the venue because they can charge for it and get their money back. And it would help the organiser because they have a compelling they have compelling technology within their apps and it helps the user because they're the ultimate beneficiary. Genuinely, there is no downside. Um, and, and moreover, it would unlock different types of companies to use that placement that's already there. Uh, and I yeah. think it would drive in innovation. You see, at the moment, we have a nightmare. So if I go to one of these big venues and I have to put 800 beacons in place, we have to configure everyone individually. We have to buy them, of course, configure them. We have to stamp them based on where we deploy them. They have to be stuck on the wall or put somewhere yeah. um, for three days. We've got to collect them all. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, so, that, yeah, there, there is a tremendous opportunity to do some joint work. So potentially you do see a scenario where in, in the same way that they would invest in the electrical system or the in-house Wi-Fi and internet provider and, and that system, you would see a scenario where maybe in five, ten years' time venues have beacons just intrinsically as part of their infrastructure. Yes. Um, although the timeline, like five years, is all don't really know because there's lots of other technology like 4G and 5G where you can do geofencing and positioning anyway. Mm. Um, so I think it's coming. I think it's coming in one form or other. Beacons are good technology right now because they're very versatile. They're small. They're cheap. Uh, they're reliable. 
uh, and you can deploy them pretty easy. So they are they are the choice right now. Certainly something that I think we're going to touch on. Um, uh, we, we've mentioned in, in, in past episodes of the podcast very, very briefly, but I know that it's something that's on our radar and something that we're going to be looking at in a little bit more detail um, in future episodes. M- m- moving things on, Jamie, um, and looking at the events themselves, um, I, I don't know if, it, if it's just me being misled or, or misreading things, but when I look at and I, I deal with the world of event technology, um, I seem to have this opinion that it's very much focused on the sort of the meetings and conference and trade shows side of the events industry. When it comes to things like your outdoor music festivals and outdoor events, um, I get the impression that they're perhaps not looking at it as, as, as effectively as they could be or should be. Is there actually a, a viable way of deploying an event app in a field that's got 35,000 people in it? Um, and are festivals using them effectively in greenfield situations? 100% yes. Um, I suppose your your perception may be either driven by the fact maybe that's more of your client base and or conferences, organizers, raisers, they're very commercial. It's all about the money, right? So that they, they can create the funds to, 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 to put these certain things. If you look at uh, music and maybe sports, um, there are some tremendous opportunities. So we, we've been fortunate to do the last three Olympic Games. Right. Okay? Um, external events, engaging apps, you know, true real-time leaderboards. We, we, we did the last, we did London 2012, okay? Uh, and we had a, a GPS signal within the um, torchbearer. So anywhere in the world, if you had the app, you could see where the talk bearer was at any moment of time. Right. Compelling, not other hope, but it, we could do it. We did it because so, we could. Uh, so there, there's tons of examples how we're trying to innovate in certain areas. We do a lot of pop fits. I won't name any names, but many of these are in big open fields. Right. And, you know, if you, if you take an average demographic of a pop festival, some of the ones we, we've done last year in London, the average demographic was 18 to 24-year-old uh, girls. Right. right. So they're very engaging. They very much use their apps. They're into their technology. So they want to know things like um, what acts are playing, what stage they're at, their own itinerary. But we've been working on technology using GPS and Beacon uh, to enable things like find my friend. Yeah. Okay. We, we can genuinely create a scenario now where you can be in a, route, a crowd of 80,000 people and it can tell you where your mates are. So <laughs> there are some incredibly compelling features that are working their way through using the tech. The thing about pop and sport, sometimes they, they commercialize in a different way, so they don't have sometimes the budget to put into this ongoing technology because it's never been there before. So I think they're a bit slower in the adoption. Do, do, is there, um, uh, are there a, is there anything interesting by comparison between the use of event apps at conferences, trade shows, etc., the corporate market and outdoor festivals. Do you look at the statistics and, and think, oh, that's interesting. I wasn't quite expecting that. Is one or the other making more progress with the level of interaction that the apps are getting? Um, it's a tough call. I mean, obviously, you go to a pop festival, you've got fairly single sort of tracks. You know, not, you get multiple stages, but it's all about going there and listening to music. What has been interesting is where there's been sponsor engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like uh, beacons um, can engage um, people walking past certain areas. So one example was a, was a big um, a, a festival we were talking to, and they wanted to have their key sponsors, a makeup brand, offer um, certain um, makeup-related activities to people who are hanging around the stands. And that was through iBeacon push message. So, you know, they are experimenting. 
Of course, one of the biggest areas, which, which uh, we might come on to, I'm sure, when we look at the future of tech, but is um, merch and money, um, having cashless uh, elements uh, to go and upgrade or buy merch or even food and drink and stuff is is obviously um, overdue. There are elements around this with smart tickets and RFID and stuff, but apps are still being used as well. So a lot of this stuff will end up coming together, I feel. Well, well, let's not dwell on it. Uh, how how um, how can event apps and your your event apps, the ones that you you guys design and supply, um, can they be integrated with the cashless payment systems that are now uh, available, at, not just at, at venues but in outdoor events as well? Yeah, we're looking at it. So obviously, with the launch of Apple Pay, yeah, um, a few months back, and, and some of, some of the alternatives, it makes the whole app scenario become realistic because only a year ago unless you had the, the, the big companies buying into thorough merchant systems and, and the funding that was acquired it was always a bit a bit bitty and you'd have to go to an m-commerce or an e-commerce site yeah. and it was all based on signals so it, it's becoming easier technically now um we we don't have any real examples right now to be fair but our roadmap has it in there and we have lots of clients talking to us about it the obvious opportunity is, for example, if you use a beacon, if you're queuing up right, to get, in, get into a festival and you're a ticket holder, a beacon deployment in the area knows, knows where you are. They know you haven't moved to read your dwell time. It knows who you are and can push upgrade notifications to you directly in your hand, which with pay, with the payment process, you swipe and pay and walk in the side door. You can jump queues. So there are some really compelling reasons as to why this needs to come forward, um, it's just early. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you: um, you can you can design design them to be fabulous in terms of their content, have the beacons interacting with the app, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If people are not downloading the actual app in the first place, then you know it's all it's all pointless. Um, yeah. to, to be blunt about it, um, totally is, there, is there still is there still an issue that? that arises from people actually just not downloading the apps as much as they you would like to see them downloaded and what can organizers and event clients be doing to actually not ensure but promote the yeah. use of their app as something that is really viable and an intrinsic part of being at that event for sure so you were talking about adoption adoption grows year on year anyway you know i've been in a little while now and, and from from figures as low as sort of five ten percent downloads you know you're, you're smashing the percentages on, on average now, and that's just by default, I think, because people expect them to be there. Um, the, biggest, the biggest issue that I face isn't, uh, isn't uh, a, a technical thing. It's, a, it's an expectation on experience, that they've had a bad experience. Um, they have a low expectation of what the app will provide them. So a user feels, it doesn't feel compelled to go and download and spend their time rummaging it. And this is where, you know, podcasts like this and, and me and the team are out evangelizing every day of the week about the reasons why it's not what it used to be anymore. Uh, we need to continue doing this to, 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 to swing it around because some of the apps that we do are so, so compelling. We get users right and say, this has changed my experience. We would never do without this. Uh, and sometimes when features get dropped, it's a, a year on year, and all of them say, well, we did well that, we're going to move it this way. We get a bunch of emails saying, why are we taking that away? I relied on that last year. Etc. So we get some tremendously positive feedback. Um, we just need to continue making them compelling. And going back to the, the carrot and stick discussion we had earlier, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I, I do I do have organisers who say we want to make it mandatory. Okay, and I say okay, fine. What are you trying to achieve? We want we want to put the ticket 
yeah, well, you can do that. You know, it, it's a judgment that you have to make as an organizer and a responsibility you have to your delegates. So, you know, I believe we should put the carrots out and make them want to use the app, want to download it. And there yeah. are some tricks, you know, put the Wi-Fi code in the app, put the ticket in the app as well so they can walk up to the desk and then maybe, you know, a Bluetooth-enabled access control unit where you walk straight through. There's tons and tons of advantages to your experience if you engage through the app. But my, my common uh, problem is a misconception that they're all a bit rubbish because they have been and some still are. Um, when it comes to the... We mentioned earlier about the design and, and the fact that people every day use apps as part of their daily activities and just their daily yeah. lifestyle. And they're used to these high-level apps that are really easy to use. How do you juggle creating something that's bespoke for each event in terms of its content, yeah. but also sure. maintaining an, an interface that allows people to use it very, very easily? Because you don't want to make yeah. it so complicated that it becomes a nightmare for somebody to actually access and use. No, absolutely right. So uh, th there are a few component parts that I agree. First of all, we, we have an infrastructure. So we have guidelines. So Google and IRS have guidelines on how an app should work and a traditional navigation on the left-hand side, et cetera. So there are certain guidelines we have, but we have freedom to overlay that. Um, so first of all, we have a bespoke UI uh, and UX team. So, so for non-technical listeners, UI being user interface, what it looks like, and UX being user experience, as in the journey. Okay, So we don't cookie-cut our apps. Every app we build, we build, we build, uh, we reconfigure. We do use component parts and says, but we, we reconfigure it bespoke to our clients. So it's completely branded, completely um, on point with what our clients are trying to achieve. We then look at the, the, the type of event um, and we are very uh, uh, positive and sure to promote visuals. Okay, so we have a, an overlay screen called Discover, which is a tile effect screen uh, visually representing all content. Now, this is a, well, I was going to say this is a fact. I've been told this is a fact, okay? So the brain recognizes a vision 60,000 times quicker than a narrative. That, right. that kind of makes sense, right? So if you look at any of the main apps, like Facebook or LinkedIn or BBC, they've all got like, a load of pictures. That's what they are, okay? Because your brain recognizes it. Well, that's what we do. So we use, we use heavy visual content to promote certain elements of, of the of the event. Yeah. Then, of course, you click you click on these tiles, and it takes you to synopsis of that session or that speaker or that article, whatever it may be. So we find that a highly visual approach uh, works for us. Um, and that's uh, are incredibly intuitive. They, you, should just, you should just, as a, as a non-user, load that, and you should know how to use it. But you, presumably, you can only integrate those elements if the client has been not clever enough, but 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 is, is also working with you to generate that content. Because if you're looking Absolutely. for pictures and relevant graphic data that, that, that can actually identify easily with a session or with a particular element of an event, it's got to be provided to you, hasn't it? So organizers have got to play their part. Yeah, quite. But here's the thing, right? They, they spend um, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks thinking about their website and about the content and how they're going to deliver and the logo and the colors. And they might want to think about the actual engagement that happens. So we work with our, our clients uh, uh, long in advance, um, and of course our ongoing clients get better and better. You know, there's, a, there's definitely an evolution, uh, and our, 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 our repeat orders are usually much better than, than the first iteration. Even though the iterations at the first time are very, very good, they just get much better with time because the organizers themselves understand the reason we bang on about certain things. 
we've flown through a load of topics today already um, and, and time is tight but um, I, I am keen finally to just talk about um, APIs integration with other platforms because this is something that, that is a huge a, a huge demand is placed on this by event organizers that within yes. an, a, an event app somebody could tweet what they're doing or put on Facebook or put on LinkedIn what they're doing um, how, how difficult is it with so many other platforms out there to actually integrate them into your own offerings and, and, and what are the sort of the most common pitfalls that people make when trying to integrate other apps into their main event app sure so it isn't difficult okay it's easy um, because we I suppose it's easy for us because we do configure bespoke apps right so we, we build an app bespoke for an event so in that construction process we have the opportunity to um, uh, look at component parts. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's rude and naive to assume that we do everything best. We don't. So we believe if we're to offer the best of breed solution, we need to partner with best of breed partners. So we, we have many, I mean, probably over 100 different APIs with global vendors from everything from registration services, website content, um, uh, polling solutions, voting solutions, mapping solutions, uh, obviously social media aggregators, the list goes on and on. And this isn't our proprietary technology. This is API'd into us. Uh, and it's all about, as I, I think I mentioned the term earlier, my, 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 my responsibility is to create a, a veneer, a window for the user to engage with an entire event experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the only vendor who does that. Uh, and the last thing you want as, a, as an organizer is multiple apps. So we create the ability to plug pretty much anything through our veneer and offer the user a, 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 an entire experience. Jamie, um, it's been fascinating talking to you uh, today. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, we're we're going to have to wrap it up there because time is tight. But um, if, if you'd be uh, so good as to come into the studio one day, um, let, let's get you on with one of our uh, panel discussions as well. I'm, I, I'm sure yeah. this is we, we've touched you know the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this particular subject, and there's an awful lot more that we could talk about. So let's get you in the studio one of these days and um, and carry on with this conversation. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Um, as I said, log on to eventindustrynews.co.uk as well to see the fabulous view of the location that we've got today. We're at the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard London um, in one of their great meeting rooms on the 34th floor. Um, get on to Event Industry News, um, have a look at some of the other podcast episodes that, uh, that we've done. But Jamie Vaughan, uh, Managing Director, EMEA from EventBase, thanks for joining us today. No problem. And uh, you've been listening to Talk at Events. My name's James Dixon. We'll uh, see you next time.